The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Welcome to Marsh Chapel, where we strive to be and to become a heart for the heart of the city and a service in service of the city. This service of ordered worship is offered in the praise of God for and with our congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, near in New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and far around the globe at WBUR.org. As always, we invite your full participation in our community through membership. We welcome your support through prayer and tithing, and we delight in your vocation through self-selection of a form of ministry and service of the gospel. This morning, we kick off our Summer Preacher Series and welcome to the pulpit the Reverend Dr. Christopher Evans. Dr. Evans is Professor of the History of Christianity and Methodist Studies at Boston University School of Theology. He is the author of several books, including The Social Gospel Today, The Kingdom is Always But Coming, A Life of Walter Rauschenbusch, and Liberalism Without Illusions, Renewing an American Christian Tradition. His most recent book, Histories of American Christianity, will be published later this summer by Baylor University Press. An ordained elder in the United Methodist Church, Dr. Evans has served in a variety of local church settings in upstate New York. And Dr. Evans is married to the Reverend Dr. Robin Olson, a beloved member of the Marsh Chapel staff. I encourage you to offer both of them a warm Marsh Chapel greeting following the service. Now, beloved, as we are able, let us stand in the praise of God. Thank you. 
Let us pray. Almighty God, you have built your church upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Grant us to be joined together in unity of spirit by their teaching, that we may be made a holy temple acceptable to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. John Wesley preached that for the children of God, repentance and faith exactly answer one another. By repentance, we feel the sin remaining in our hearts and cleaving to our words and actions. By faith, we receive the power of God, purifying our hearts and cleansing our hands. Repentance and faith together provide us with a response for our lives and for our world today. Beloved, as the choir leads us in singing the Kyrie, I invite us to confess in silence the sin that remains in our hearts, which cleaves to our words and actions. Beloved, be of good faith. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 1 and 13 through 25. For freedom from Christ... Has set, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 16 with the Antiphon. for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have glorious heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. The Lord is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also dwells secure. For you do not give me up to Sheol or let your faithful one see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let us stand as we are able for the Gloria Patri, the reading of the gospel in hymn 430.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, follow me. And he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated.
There is a moral dilemma that befalls all of us who live in or near the city of Boston. It is something that all of us per probably face at least once a day, and it's something that goes to the very heart of our being. And that moral dilemma comes every time we contemplate the politics of a left turn in the city of Boston. Now, there are two ways in which this dilemma breaks. The first is when you just try to make a left turn, you do not have the benefit of the green arrow, and you recognize sometimes when you go into a left turn that you are befallen to the kindness of strangers. Will people actually let you turn left? Will you be able to throw caution to the wind and complete the left turn without getting into an accident or have someone blowing their car horn at you? Now, the other side of a left turn in the city is when I talk about the politics of a left turn, comes when you are going straight and you are trying to get to a destination and you're late or you're just simply tired and fatigued and you've had enough of the city and you want to get home and then you find all of these people in front of you that are turning into your path and you have to contemplate, out of the goodness of my heart, will I let some of these Wobegon motorists in? When we talk about the politics of a left turn in Boston, indeed the politics of driving in the city that we love, there is always that sense when we are dealing with some fundamental theological questions that have befallen Christian theologians now for thousands of years. Are we captive, as many theologians have said, to the worst aspects of sin? Do the politics of driving in the city really point out that at our core we are base and self-centered and just really out for ourselves, Or are there aspects of our nature that reflect an inherent goodness in terms of who we are? Now, when you look at the reading from Paul and you look at the reading from the Gospel of Luke this morning, I think there perhaps is a little bit of conflict. When you hear Jesus' words from the Gospel of Luke today, it really does reflect this sense that we have that, that you see over and over again in the Gospels where Jesus says, follow me. Forget about everything else you're doing. Just drop it and hit that road and walk that path with me, regardless of the consequences to your own personal life or safety. When you think of this particular tradition in Christian theology, one particular aspect that has been popularized for many years is the expression WWJD, or what would Jesus do? Another dimension of this, I think, was reflected in a hymn written by a former dean at Boston University School of Theology, Earl Marlott, who in the early part of the 20th century pinned a hymn called Are Ye Able that oftentimes is sung during the Lenten season. Are ye able, said the master, to be crucified with me? Yea, the sturdy dreamers answered, to the death we follow thee. Marlott's words really are in sync in many respects with what we hear today from the Gospel of Luke, that unequivocal call of discipleship where we simply pick up and go where Jesus says. And then you have the words from the Apostle Paul where whenever you talk about human volition and human effort, the words of Paul seem to be saying to us, well, wait a minute. It's not about what we do, it's rather the grace of God and the power of God's love that is the only source of our salvation. And really it's the grace of God that enables us to follow the road of discipleship. And in many respects today, as happens so often when we talk about the writings of the New Testament, part of what we try to do in our own daily living is find ways to bring together the perspective that we have from Luke and from the Gospels with the kind of perspective on theology that is brought to us by the Apostle Paul. Now, it needs to be said, for many centuries in Christian theology, there have been countless warnings about taking Paul too literally. 
in the sense that, in effect, Paul is not offering us a free get-out-of-jail card that simply says, in effect, well, works don't matter. If you have the grace of God, then uh, if you have been one of the elect or if you have been chosen in some way by God, then you don't have to worry about what you do. So many theologians, not, not the least of those being John Wesley, have said faith in God's grace is something that equips you for doing good works. You have to understand that when we talk about our faith, when we talk about the grace of God, faith and works go hand in hand. Sometimes within the context of our faith, we put a tremendous premium, particularly coming out of scriptures like Luke, with this idea that we have to walk around with some type of halo over our heads that in the context of our lives and the way in which we understand God's perfecting love, we get into the mindset that says, well, we'll never make a mistake. We'll never make an error. We are always going to be perfect if we are truly Christian and truly whole. But I think the coming together today for us of the words of Jesus and Paul is not a call to some type of earthly perfection where we're free from error or even free from sin. But rather, we take seriously in our daily living the words from the prophet Micah who says to us over the course of time, what does God require of us? What does God require of us? Do justice, love kindness, and I love in particular this last part of the prophet's words to walk humbly with God. Thanks to my two sons, I've become addicted to an AMC television series called Breaking Bad. And Breaking Bad is a show that deals with a seemingly benign individual by the name of Walter White, an individual who was introduced to the viewers as mild-mannered, kind of down on his luck, and basically a nice guy. But in the context of the TV show, Walter White is transformed in very short order into a drug kingpin megalomaniac. When we first meet Walter's character, he's a down-on-his-luck science high school teacher, an individual whose many, many of his dreams and aspirations have not materialized. And we're, we learn in the first episode that Walter has terminal cancer. So in a kind of last desperate move to provide financial security for his family, Walter Wife decides to employ his scientific knowledge to become a cook producing methamphetamine. When he starts out, Walter recognizes he's not doing something that's particularly good. But as the show progresses and as Walter becomes more and more proficient in the art of cooking methamphetamine, and building this drug uh, empire out of his talents, he walks a road that takes him first to deceit and then ultimately to murder. At one point in the show, when Walter explains his motivations to one of the cast members, fellow co-stars of the show, he says very simply, you know, when I started out, I really just wanted to provide for my family. But that's not enough anymore. My goal is to build an empire. Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad, has made the comment that he sees the Walter White character as a kind of morality play, talking about the way in which we are befallen to the choices that we make, whether for good or whether for ill. But in looking at a lot of the themes in Breaking Bad, I, I don't think it's a show that simply deals with a, a basically good guy who makes bad choices. On the other extreme, as some fans of the show have argued, I also don't think that the character of Walter White is a study of an inherently evil person whose evil now has just been brought to the surface by his choices. But rather, I think Walter White embodies what Paul says to us today from Galatians, that to turn our back on God's love and God's grace is a way in which we shut ourselves off 
not just from God, but from the people who love us, the people that we need in our daily life to remind us that we are a child of God. When we turn our back on God's love, we find ourselves, and we can find ourselves in a situation not just simply where we perhaps are making bad choices, but where we find ourselves captive to some of our own ambitions and where some of our own worst motives and self can come to the surface. In looking at our faith today, we sometimes can get into the obsession with, in the effort to do good and to do good works, that we lose track of the fact that there is at times a big difference between being good and being faithful. What Jesus and Paul bring to the surface for us today, and I think this is something that many of us already know, is that when we talk about the best aspects of our faith, we are talking about not just simply living out our faith through rote, but faith is a lifestyle where each day we wake up with new opportunities to live fully into the grace of God, to recognize the way in which we have new opportunities to serve our neighbor and to grow in the talents that God has put within our being. There are times, I think, and we see this so often in the church, where we can become fixated on a particular doctrine or practice or understanding of faith that we shut ourselves out from those around us who perhaps have a different perspective on the way to live fully into the grace of God. Years ago, Philip Wagaman, a graduate of Boston University and also the retired pastor of the Foundry United Methodist Church in Washington, D.C., wrote a, a very interesting book called Faith and Fragmentation. And Wagaman talks about the, the book, in this book, the way in which so many aspects of our most cherished beliefs are fragments. There is always a sense that we carry within ourselves a fragment of a larger truth. But unless we find ways to combine those fragments with the larger body in which those fragments came out of, then they are nothing but fragments. When we talk about this understanding of faith, I think it puts into relief for us the way in which God's grace is constantly calling us together. That when Paul talks about walking in the Spirit today, yes, there are times where we might feel like we're alone with God in this, but there is always, always that sense that the grace of God calls us together to be part of a larger body that exceeds the gifts and talents that we possess. Many years ago, in the first parish I served was in a small upstate New York town, Freeville, New York. It's a lovely little village about 10 miles outside of Ithaca, New York. And like many newly minted pastors, I always obsessed about doing, uh, getting it right when I was doing worship, uh, particularly for weddings and funerals. And one Saturday afternoon, I had a wedding, and the, with the couple, it was a relatively small service, but I was obsessing over the details, making sure that I had the names of the bride and groom correctly, uh, making sure that everything was to their liking. I, I felt very, very good about the service. And it was a very hot day, kind of like a hot, humid day like today, and the service was fine, and everything was going smoothly, and the couple exchanged their vows, and I did the declaration that they were husband and wife. Everyone in the congregation clapped, as always happens at a wedding. The couple kissed, had their first kiss, and then right before I was going to pronounce the benediction, the matron of honor produced rather sheepishly the rings for the bride and the groom. I had forgotten the exchange of rings. I still look back at that with a tad of embarrassment, although I recognize fully, as all of us recognize, that whenever God's grace is present, there is that sense that our failures at times mean nothing. 
for our, as important to us as our favorite liturgy might be, or our favorite prayer, or our favorite hymn, or the way in which we see ourselves ordered by our favorite books of discipline. There is always that sense that God's grace cannot be contained by what we do, or at times, by what we don't do. As people of faith, we take seriously the task of discipleship, the walk that each of us has as a unique child of God. But we always have to remember that for all of the ways in which we value our faith, that we make room for our neighbors, that we make room for other possibilities and expressions of truth, whether it's sitting in the quiet of a house of worship today or negotiating the politics of a left turn in the city, we always need to hold out the ways in which God's grace is so much more than our individual actions. Finally, we, we have to realize today that for all of the ways that we emphasize the power of grace, as many of you already know, divine grace is not an inoculation from bad things happening to us. It's not an inoculation from making, at times, poor decisions. It's not an inoculation even from the reality of physical death. But what we understand from today's readings is that by the Spirit of God, there is a road that has been laid out for us, a path that we walk, sometimes individually, sometimes as a community. And that path always reminds us of the ways in which the grace of God and the gifts that we have can come together as one amazing tapestry of faith. There are times also, finally, where we need to recognize that for all of the gaps in eloquence, for all of the times that perhaps that we can't find the right words, sometimes just being there and being present with one another is all that we need to do to be faithful. Dean Hill, on many occasions from this pulpit, has mentioned and made reference to a very famous Methodist minister from the early 20th century named Ernest Fremont Tittle. For 31 years, Dr. Tittle was the senior minister of the First Methodist Church of Evanston, Illinois. First Church Evanston was probably one of the most prominent pulpits in Northern Methodism, a church that was chalked full of a variety of individuals that had direct connections with the business and financial communities coming out of the city of Chicago. For many years, Tittle was a tireless advocate for social justice, for economic justice, war and peace issues, and in particular at a time period where few in, in the Northern Methodist Church were taking on the issue for racial equality within that denomination. But my favorite story about Tittle's ministry has nothing to do with what he actually said in the pulpit, but one instance coming out of what he didn't say. The story is told that a very prominent parishioner in this church had died. And in the midst of his grief, Dr. Tittle went to this man's home and paid him a visit, came to the door, and basically the man said, I don't want to see anyone right now, and he sent Tittle away. So Tittle went to the edge of the driveway of this man's home, and he stopped, and he watched, and he waited. After a few minutes, this man came out of his house, and he began to walk down his street and took a path towards the shores of Lake Michigan. Tittle followed about 20, 30, 40 paces behind. And for several hours, this man just paced the shores of Lake Michigan, going back and forth, all the while Tittle staying 20, 30, 40 paces back. Finally, the man returned to his home. He went to his front door, and Tittle followed him, stopped at the edge of his driveway, and just waited. As the man turned to go inside, he turned to face Tittle and said very simply, 
Thank you. Thank you for being with me. What I like about this story is it reminds us of one of the fundamental truths of our faith, that our lives, our talents, our gifts, our very presence are a sign and symbol of a far greater mystery. And that grace maintains us and holds us regardless of whether we're in our cars, whether we sit in worship, whether we spend time with our families, or even if we're trying to escape the hustle and bustle of a busy day in the city. For in the context of who and what we are, we recognize the fact that today God's grace, by the Spirit of God, is with us and stays with us as we walk past through places unknown, and we recognize that by the Spirit, God's grace will carry us safely home. Amen. The Apostle Paul noted, we should devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So let us come personally and collectively to prayer, standing, sitting, kneeling, or however the Spirit moves you. Heavenly Father, we begin this prayer as the Good Shepherd taught us, giving praise and honor to your name for your steadfast love and amazing grace. Our hearts are glad, our souls rejoice, and we rest secure knowing that you are our rock and our salvation. And though we know this, we sometimes falter. Like the people of Israel, we doubt you when we are in our deserts of despair. We provoke and envy one another. We celebrate our successes in life, and with pride and arrogance, we compare ourselves to others. Forgive us, gracious Father. We rededicate ourselves to you today and offer our hearts for the spirit of truth to live with us and be in us. Cleanse our hearts of this pride. Humble us so that we recognize that you alone are the source of our security. Lead us, Holy Spirit, so that we take every opportunity to reflect Christ's love as we relate to others. Guide us so that we extend a loving hand without judgment to ease the suffering of those around us and have the courage and strength to forgive. Endow us with the, spirit, with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Bless our nation and its leaders as they struggle with the challenges we all face. Though we are diverse in many things, class, race, politics, sexual orientation, to name a few, this nation is one in many. We pray, pray, pray for the fruit of the Spirit so that we value and respect our differences as a source of strength rather than a reason for division. 
We pray for our recent graduates, those who have recently taken the oath of military service, newlyweds, new parents, and all who are currently enduring or in imminently facing life-changing events. Guide them, gracious Father. We thank you for this opportunity to bring our prayers to you. We ask you to bless the sick, the lost, and those in grief. Though we struggle with worries, doubts, and fears, our faith in you helps us to endure the suffering, knowing that you are at our right hand. And so we ask you to comfort us, to heal us, to fix us, securing knowing that if we ask, you will answer. Help us to hear and recognize your response. Give ear to us and hear our prayer. We pray these things in the name of the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now as a community of faith, we join voices to pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Marsh Chapel. We welcome you whether in shorts and flip-flops like me, a sundress, a jacket and tie, however you are, welcome. All are welcome. We're glad you're joining us for worship today, whether in person, by radio, via the internet, or the podcast. If in person, I invite you to find a red pad in the end of your pew near the center aisle, and add your name and contact info to it so we can get to know you better and you can get to know each other better today. If you're listening from afar, please be in touch with us via email at chapel at bu.edu. Today begins our annual Summer Preacher Series, this year entitled Pulpits of Northern Methodism. We hope you will join us as you are able as we welcome several leaders in the United Methodist Church throughout these summer months. The beginning of the Summer Preacher Series also marks the beginning of our Dean's Summer Leave. He listens via the internet today and will rejoin us in person in late August. Next week, following the Sunday morning service, is the chapel's annual Summer Potluck Barbecue. It's not too late to volunteer to bring a dish, a bag of chips, or otherwise help out with the event if you're so inclined. If you do feel led, please be in contact with the chapel office at 617-353-3560 or email us at chapel at bu.edu. All are welcome to the barbecue, and we look forward to fellowshipping with you next week. For other events going on at the chapel, I invite you to visit the chapel website, www.bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. And now I invite you to meditate on the anthem as the ushers wait upon us during the offertory.
pray together. God of creation, we bring these gifts as signs of thanks. We ask that they help usher in your will done on earth as in heaven. We also pray, God, for the ability to accept and embrace the reality that we can offer ourselves, our time, skills, and bodies as well for this same goal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may you go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.